Lord, I love uh, how we sang this morning, that we sang a song that said, you have come, our God is with us, you have come. And I pray that you would reestablish our astonishment with that fact today. Reestablish our complete astonishment with, astonishment with the fact that you have, Jesus, taken on humanity freely and in submission to the Father. You have chosen it. What a miracle that is. And then the right response, we sang, O come all you faithful. Because the right response to the fact that you have come is for us to now come to you in praise and in honor and with hallelujahs and in the declaration of your worth and your goodness. And that's what we want to be about here now in this time. I pray that you would, Father, help me by the power of your spirit to proclaim what is true. And Holy Spirit, would you do the work that only you can do now to bring your word into our lives. And you say that it will not return void, but it will bear fruit. And so we pray that it would. So guard my mouth, help me to speak truth. Open our ears now so that we might hear. Church, could I invite you now to pray and just invite God's spirit to teach you today. And just tell him you're willing to receive what he has for you today. Lord, we don't want to resist you in any way. We want to receive from you. And so we pray that you would be present with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 4. We'll have the words on the screen as well. As I was thinking about this Advent series, which we're calling God with Us and focusing on the practical implications, the day-to-day life implications of what it means that God has come to be with us in his son, Jesus Christ. I was thinking about two episodes that I have had, two seasons of life where I faced loneliness uh, in a pretty, in what felt like a relatively acute kind of a way. And one I handled pretty well and one I did not handle so well. Uh, the first was when I moved from Texas to Chicago to go to seminary. I was about 22 years old. Not about, I was 22 years old. Uh, I was 22 years old. I didn't know a soul in Chicago. And I moved there and I lived, oddly enough, in a Jewish synagogue. That's a whole other story for another day. Uh, and I was shoveling snow and throwing down salt. Had never done that before. I thought salt was for traction, not to melt ice. I didn't know. So I was laying it down real thick and my Wisconsin roommate was like, what on earth are you doing? And I was like, I don't know, don't you, isn't this for traction? He's like, it melts the ice, dummy, right? And so I was like, oh, okay, good. So I'm learning all kinds of new things and I had moved from a place where the sun shines, it feels like about 300 days a year to where in the winter in Chicago, it feels like the sun disappears and the earth has stopped revolving. There's no longer day and night, there's only night. Only cloudy, depressing darkness. Right? And, and, and I, again, I didn't know anyone. I was, I was engaging in studies that felt like I didn't know if I was going to make it through them. They were difficult. They were hard. And about a month in, probably the pinnacle of my loneliness was that it was my birthday, my 23rd birthday. Uh, and some, some lovely people in my life had forgotten to call me and wish me a happy birthday. And, and uh, that was, I shouldn't have blamed anyone there. But I was just, I was exceedingly lonely. I had to take a three-hour course on church history that night. It was a Thursday night. That might sound real exciting to you, but three hours of church history covers about five to 600 years of church history at a pop, and it's not real exciting. I'm just gonna tell you, right? And so, and then on top of it, I ate some yogurt on the sell-by date, which should be fine, right? It was not fine. <laughs> it was not fine. 
So it's my birthday. I got a little food poisoning going on. I go to the class. I'm thrown up in the sink in the middle break of the class. The professor comes in and just goes, you should go home. Right? And I'm laying in bed and I'm just thinking, what have I done to myself? I have moved halfway across the country. I don't know anyone. It's my birthday. No one cares. I'm all alone. I was throwing a little pity party. Just a little bit of one. Right? I'm throwing up. I mean, it's just a bad day. Somewhere in the midst of that first month and first semester, really, uh, something happened, though. I remember getting down on the floor, this old, I, was in a, I lived in a 100-year-old house, and I, was, I just remember being down on the floorboards and just saying to God, I know that you've said that you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and I need that to be true. I need you to be my best friend because I have no one and I am struggling. I feel more alone than I've ever felt, and it's because you told me to come here, and I have obeyed, and I feel completely and utterly alone. And friends, I prayed that prayer, and you know, the, the, the sky didn't open up, and you know, God did not descend in physical form in that moment, but something changed. Something significant changed in my life from that moment forward. I no longer felt alone. Every day, I was still, nothing had really changed circumstantially, but at every moment there was this deep awareness that I was loved, that I belonged to God, and that I belonged with God, and that he, he had indeed called me and he would go with me every step of the way. It was remarkable. It was absolutely remarkable. Now, I wish I had remembered that lesson the next time I encountered loneliness in an acute way because I'm fickle and I lose sight of things. And so the next time I experienced a really kind of intense season of loneliness was right after seminary. I moved to another town, moved to Austin. I didn't know anybody in Austin. And I was at a church that had no one else my age. It was this tiny little church. And I had a youth group of six kids and no one else my age in the church, I was single. And I remember just during that season feeling, again, very alone. But this time, instead of falling on my knees and saying to God, you've got to be my best friend, I decided it would be a good idea to just find a girlfriend. So I started dating a girl. And it was one of those, she's a great girl. Uh, but it was one of those that after about two dates, I probably should have known, this isn't a great fit. We'll just both move on. But when you're lonely, you make really bad decisions. And so you stay in relationships that should last two dates and they last six months. And in relationships that should last two dates, last six months, guess what happens? People get hurt. People get really hurt because you sort of make promises with your time and energy that you should not be making. And it begins to create a sense of belief that perhaps this is going somewhere, that it's not. And then when you end that relationship, it really, really hurts someone. And I tell you those stories because I want you to understand that I know that loneliness is a common part of the human condition, right? Loneliness is something that every single one of us faces at some point. And if you haven't found yourself facing loneliness, uh, let me encourage, well, let me just say probably it's coming. Uh, but also, if you haven't, perhaps you have, you've been finding ways to distract yourself. Because loneliness is just a common part of the human experience. And it's part of actually God's intention in the human experience. So that we might learn how much we need him. So we might learn how much it 
it mean, how much he means that he will indeed be with us. And the way we handle loneliness, the way we face loneliness, has a lot to do with whether we thrive in life or whether we don't. If we will face loneliness and the dangers that can result from loneliness, if we'll do it well, a lot of thriving can come from that. But if we choose to face it in ways that are not good, you know, like I'm illustrating in my own life at different points, uh, when we choose to face it in ways that are not well, it, it thwarts thriving, it thwarts flourishing. And so we need to be aware of that. Now, you may be asking yourself, why during Christmas, isn't it tradition at Christmas time to talk about Jesus and the birth of Jesus and God with us? Why are we talking about loneliness? Well, the reason we're talking about loneliness is because the birth of Jesus has a lot to teach us about the way we face loneliness. Can I say that again? The birth of Jesus, the fact that God has come to be with us, has a lot to teach us about the way we face loneliness and the way we encounter it and the way we engage with it. And I recognize that at this season in particular, there's probably many of us that are beginning to feel loneliness in a much more acute way than we have. Maybe you lost someone this year. It's gonna be the first Christmas season without that person around the tree with you. Perhaps someone that you really relied upon and depended upon has left. They've abandoned you. Perhaps some friendships, perhaps a marriage. My guess is in this season, many of you are going to experience loneliness in a more acute, in a more intense way than you perhaps have throughout the rest of the year. And I think it's important for us to understand uh, what it is that Jesus offers us when he says, I have come to be God with you. So here's the overarching premise of these next couple weeks. It's this. It's that the incarnation is God's declaration that we belong with him. The incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, in the form of Jesus, is God's declaration that we belong with him, that he wants us with him. And so he has come to be with us. Now, we all encounter loneliness. We encounter it when that person that we've depended upon has left. We encounter it in our marriages, which may be good and healthy marriages, but perhaps we thought that they were gonna be the, the thing that made us never feel lonely again. And all of a sudden we recognize that even someone who loves us as well as our spouse does can never truly get inside of our hearts and minds and understand us at the deepest part of ourselves. And we recognize that sometimes we say stuff and our, our own spouse misunderstands what we've said. And we're like, how can this person who knows me so well still misunderstand my intentions in the word that I've spoken? I am truly not really known at the deepest level. There's so many things that bring about this, this loneliness that we can feel and experience. And so we need to learn how to handle it well. So like we said, the big idea of the series the next couple of weeks is that the incarnation is God's definitive word that we belong with him. And then today's sermon is just this, that the birth of Jesus brings power to face loneliness and to overcome its dangers. The birth of Jesus brings power to face loneliness. Notice I did not say eliminate loneliness, but to face loneliness and to overcome its dangers. So we want to do a couple things today. We want to answer two questions today. The first one is, what is loneliness? We need to talk about that for a second so we understand what we're talking about, define our parameters a little bit. And then the second thing we want to answer, the second question we want to answer is, how does the incarnation help us face loneliness and overcome its dangers? Those are pretty simple. Yes, church? All right, awesome. So question number one, what is loneliness? 
Well, the thing I want to make sure we understand is loneliness is not necessarily the result of or the same as being alone, okay? That those are two different things, which is why you can be completely alone and not feel lonely. You've probably had that experience. And you can be in a room full of people and feel intensely lonely, right? And so loneliness is not primarily about being alone, And it's not even primarily the result of being alone. Here's what loneliness is. Loneliness is about whether we feel we belong to someone and with someone. That's gonna be our key phrase. Loneliness is about whether or not we feel deep in ourselves that we belong to someone and that we belong with someone. It's about whether or not we feel claimed and invited in or disowned and held at arm's length. That's essentially the heart of loneliness. That's what it is. This is why you can't just deal with loneliness by going to more parties, right? If you think, I'm lonely, therefore I'll surround myself with more people, you're gonna find yourself even more intensely lonely. That's not the solution to the problem. It doesn't work. So it's also why, it's also why we need to understand the theological nature of our problem. Now, I know you guys probably get tired of me going, there's a theological nature behind this, right? But I want you to understand it because it's so pivotal, it's so important to understand the theological nature of the problem that we face when we face loneliness. Now you remember if you have been around church, and if you haven't, let me just kind of, I'll catch you up a little bit here. The Bible tells the story of the first man and the first woman and their rebellion against God in Genesis chapter one and two and three. And they, God creates them and he creates them for relationship with himself and then they rebel against God. And as a result, their relationship with God is fractured. But something more is fractured than their relationship with God. It's their relationship with each other that gets fractured as well. And it's the first fracture, the relationship with God, that causes the second fracture, the relationship with each other. Right? Now, that's not too hard to comprehend. You can go, okay, that makes sense. If God created us for a relationship and we fracture that, then it would make sense that our relationships with one another would get splintered as a result of that. But listen, because here's, here's kind of where the rubber meets the road for us when it comes to loneliness today then, is as we think about that, as we think about those two fractures and how they've occurred, and that being the case then, we will never truly feel like we belong anywhere with great confidence in this world until we have dealt with the nagging sense that we don't belong with God. Until we deal with that, right? So this would be... Uh, you know, for my friends here who you, you're considering the claims of Jesus, but you have not yet said, okay, I, I'm his, or I believe what he said is true, I, I just want to give you fair warning that the things we're going to talk about, they really only impact and affect us and help us overcome and face loneliness if we deal with the first fracture, if we deal with that. And that's exactly what the incarnation is designed to deal with. God sends his son to deal with that first fracture, and it helps deal with the second one as well, which is a part of how God deals with loneliness in us. Does that make sense, you guys with me? Okay, awesome. So then let's, let's move from that then. We just touch on that quickly. And let's talk about the incarnation and how it helps us face loneliness and overcome its dangers. And I wanna give you four things here. Okay, the first one is this. The first way that the incarnation helps us face loneliness is by astonishing us with the lengths to which God has gone to be with us. By astonishing us with the lengths to which God has gone to be with us. That's the first thing the incarnation should do for us. Now, if you've been around church for a while, those of us who, like I grew up in church, and the incarnation, the idea that God 
put on flesh is just something we talk about a lot and therefore begin to take for granted. Like when was the last time you thought about the fact that, that the king of the universe who created everything became a baby? Had to have his diapers changed. Like had to have spit up cleaned off. His, this is the God who designed and created everything and he needs a mere human being to make sure that he gets fed and changed and has a warm blanket on him at night. That's completely astounding. And part of what I want to, us to remember today, and I hope, I, I'm hoping I can do this a little bit each day, is I, I want us to reestablish our astonishment with the incarnation. Because that's part of what should cause us to see how much God desires to be with us that God took on flesh. So let me just share with you two things that always help me reestablish my astonishment with the incarnation. I'll just share with you these two. They always kind of, if I ever get in that mode of just like, yeah, 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 Jesus, God became man, got it. When I get in that mode and I'm just, I just kind of, you know, I just kind of whisk right past that. Like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. Uh, these always kind of jerk me back into like, whoa, like that wow moment when it comes to the incarnation. The first is this, the difference between, we need to remember that the difference between God's nature and human nature is not a difference of magnitude, it's a difference of type. Let me explain what I mean by that. I'll give you an illustration, right? Some of us think that when we say God, God has a nature and humans have a nature, we think it's like the difference between the sun and a candle, right? They're both light and heat, but one is really small and one is really big. And so Jesus, when he became human, really just kind of went from sun to, you know, kind of took on the properties of the candle, Right? And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, it's hard to imagine the sun fitting itself down into a candle, but they're both essentially similar. They're the same, they're light, they're heat, that kind of thing. That's not the difference between God's nature and our nature. The difference between God's nature and our nature is not a difference of magnitude, it's a difference of type. We are completely different types of beings. He is eternal and timeless. We are finite. We have a beginning, we have an end. God has no beginning, he has no end. He is unchanging. Nothing ever shifts with God. His perfections never change. He never moves or changes in the slightest because he is perfect. And he cannot become less than he is, nor can he become more than he is. And we are constantly changing right? Your belt size, your pant size is going to change two sizes over this next holiday season. All right? You are, I hope, growing in knowledge and in wisdom and understanding. You can gain knowledge today. You will gain understanding that you did not have, I hope, before you walk out of here. God never gains more knowledge. He never needs to go to school. He never has to take in a new fact, right? He is completely independent of all other life. He needs nothing to sustain his life. He sustains his own life. We draw every breath in derivative from him. You live and move and have your being because God dictates that it is so. You are dependent upon him to do that. And if he decides that he doesn't want you to do that anymore, you will not have one more breath. 
he is dependent on no one. When I say we are different types of beings, do you get what I mean? Now ponder for a second that this type of being became this type of being without ever letting go of being also this type of being. Does your brain hurt yet? Because it should. He's amazing. These are the lengths to which God has gone to be with us. Not a difference in magnitude, a difference in type. It's amazing. The second thing that always reestablishes my astonishment with God becoming human is the reminder that Jesus did not just become human. Like it would be one thing if Jesus said, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm the second person of the Trinity. I'm eternal. I'm in the eternity past. And the Father has said to me, go into the earth and become human, take on humanity and I in obedience and submission to the Father, do that. I'm completely God, but my role as the second person of the Trinity is to submit to the Father. And so I go and I'm gonna take that on for 33 years and then I'm gonna be done with it because it's a different type of existence and I don't want it anymore. I want back into my, you know, eternally, eternity past before we created these human beings. I want back into that type of existence. But the scriptures teach us that Jesus has taken on humanity forever. That for all eternity future, Jesus will be human. That he will possess a body. That he will never, never cease to be human. Fully divine, fully God, fully human, He will never cease to be human. Think about that for a moment. He took it on and now he keeps it. Why would he keep it? Because he wants to show us the great desire he has to redeem us and the power he has to do so. And so when Jesus takes on humanity, he takes it on for good. Now, I I don't know if those two things wow you the way they wow me, right? But those are just a few of the things that we see that God has done in order to show us that he wants us to be with him. And we belong to him and with him. All right, let's talk about a couple others. So that's the first thing. He astonishes us. The second thing that he does to help us face loneliness and overcome its problematic choices that it can lead us into is by making us belong. Now, I said Galatians. We're actually gonna get there now. All right, here we go. Galatians chapter four, look at verses four to seven. And what he says about making us belong. In verse four of Galatians four, Paul writes, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. So he's talking about the incarnation there. He's saying God decided to send Jesus, his son, into the world at just the right time. He knew when the right time was and he did it. And then verse five, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, do you see what Paul is doing there in Galatians? What he's essentially doing for us is he's tying the incarnation, the fact that God became human, to the fact that we have been adopted by God. He says at the fullness of time, at just the right time, God sent his son into the world to redeem those who were under the law. And then he doesn't stop because the nature of our relationship with God could be redeemed slaves. 
It could be that we are redeemed people who are bought by him and now we belong to him and he does not have to relate to us as a father relates to a son or daughter. He could relate to us as those whom he has purchased who should serve him in gratitude and gratefulness who he relates to as slaves. Do you agree that God could do that if he wanted to? And he'd be fully justified to do it. And that's not what he does. He says, you are not slaves, you are sons. And as if to reinforce that, he says, he has sent the spirit into our hearts. And it's the spirit who is in us then, if we're sons and daughters of the king, crying out, Abba, Father, as if to say that the spirit comes into you and reminds you again and again by crying out, Abba, Father, that you have a dad in heaven who loves you and is with you and is for you and doesn't relate to you as a slave. He relates to you as a son, as a daughter, as if to say, you belong. He has, for if, if the root of loneliness is understanding that I belong to someone and with someone, what has Paul just told us? You belong to him and you belong with him. And there is no one better to belong to and no one better to belong with. And friends, I know you might be thinking, well, that's nice, it's theoretical though. Like I need something more tangible. I wanna say to you, there's nothing more tangible than the spirit of God in your heart crying out, you have a dad, you have a dad. And when you face loneliness, can I just tell you what you must do? You need to break out your Galatians 4 and you need to preach to yourself. You need to preach to yourself and say, self, the son became human so that you could become adopted into the family of the father. Self, the son was separated from the father so that you could become a son or daughter of the father. Self, there is no one better in all the world to belong to than to him and you belong to him. Again and again and again, preach it to yourself. It's not, it's not self-help, guru, weirdo, you know, Barnes and Noble bookshelf sort of theology, Right? As if that helps anybody. It doesn't. It's junk. Get out of that section, okay? This is the truth of the gospel. It's one of the most precious foundational truths. And the Spirit himself is reminding you by crying out, Abba, Father, in your heart. He's the one crying out for you to remind you that you belong to him and with him. Third thing that we see is that one of the ways the incarnation deals with loneliness is by making it so that we are never actually alone. Now, this may be the most obvious kind of no-duh statement, but let me remind you, because Galatians 4 just talked about when it talked about the Spirit, but let's look at John 16 as well. We'll throw it up on the screen here. I'm just flipping. So John 16, Jesus is talking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he says something that is absolutely astounding in verse seven. He says, nevertheless, talking to his disciples, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, it's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then he goes on to talk about what he'll do when he comes. He'll convict you and he'll, he'll purify you. He'll unify you. He'll cause you to do, uh, be empowered for work that I've called you to do. It, it's pretty glorious stuff when you start to read about what the Spirit does. I mean, it's amazing. But what I want you to get right here from verse 7 is the same thing that we saw in Galatians chapter 4. Is that 
is that what Jesus has done by becoming human in the incarnation is he has become human so that he might establish the righteousness required in us so that his spirit might come and live in us. Do you understand that without the righteousness that Jesus has imparted to us, we give faith, we believe, and Jesus imparts righteousness to us as a reward for that faith. It's his righteousness which enables then us to not just pray and enter the presence of God in prayer. It enables the Spirit to actually come and take up residence in us because the Spirit could not do that if the righteousness of Christ had not been given to us. Do you see the the pathway? And so Jesus has come. He has established the righteousness that is required of us so that, not just so that we would have righteousness to one day die and go and live in heaven with God, that is part of why we have that righteousness, but also so that the Spirit might take up residence in us now. So that it's not just that God is saying, I want to be with you one day in the future. He says, I want to be with you now. And so I have sent my spirit to live inside of you and to dwell in you. And Jesus is so bold as to say, it's better for you that I would go away because I, in my incarnate form, can only live next to you. But the spirit can do what? Live inside of you. And in is better than next to, okay? In is better than next to. And so that's what he's saying. That's why that's better, okay? Now God is not just with us, he's in us. That's the ultimate kind of with you. And so essentially, essentially what we need to be reminded of there, and again, that might be one where you go, okay, that's, that's nice, you know, but what does that really do for loneliness? Well, friend, just think with me for a minute, okay? Because no matter how much you crave community and you crave people to belong to and friendships, right? No matter how much you surround yourself with that, no matter how many great friends you have, none of them can ultimately get inside of you and understand every nuance of who you are. No one can do that. Do you know who can do that? God's spirit can do that. And when he comes inside of you, there's, this is why the spirit of God dwelling in us is such a weapon when it comes to facing loneliness. Because now the type of conversation you have with God is completely transformed. You don't even have to utter a word and he understands. You can sit in his presence for hours. You can tell him anything. He already knew it and he listens patiently, right? It's the kind of conversation that I'm, I'm, I wonder if we're having these kinds of conversations with God. The kind of conversation that says, you are my best friend and you know every word before it's on my tongue and yet you, you, you interact with me. And he knows every motive. Now maybe that's scary for you. It can be a little scary, let's be honest, right? But he knows every motive. He knows every thought. He knows every action. He knows every whim. He knows it all. He knows you inside and out. If, and he has come into you to take up residence and will never leave So do you have to fear that you don't belong to someone or with someone? Do you see how that's a weapon against loneliness? There's no better weapon. Last thing. In Hebrews 4, 15, we see one more thing that the incarnation does for us, and it's this. It allows us to experience sympathy. One of the things that when we we feel lonely is we just want someone to understand what we're going through, right? You guys been there? 
You just want someone to understand what you're going through. Well, listen to what Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, says about Jesus when he took on flesh. He says in chapter 4, verse 15, says this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, there specifically, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the fact that Jesus has faced every temptation to sin that we have, and he has come through clean. He has, he has conquered every temptation. We give into those temptations. And the, the ultimate point of the writer of Hebrews there is don't give into temptation. Know that you have a great high priest who's able to strengthen you through those temptations, right? But we can establish that idea around more than just temptations to sin. We can understand that what the author is saying is we have a great high priest who, by virtue of having become one of us, human, knows everything we go through. And he sympathizes with us. That's the word the text uses. He sympathizes with us. He is not unable to sympathize. It always amazes me how powerful it is when someone has gone through what we've gone through and they've come out the other side and the simple phrase from that person, it wouldn't work from anybody else, but because they've gone through what we're going through and we're wondering if we're gonna make it through, when they just put an arm around us and say, I know. That is a powerful phrase coming from the mouth of someone who has been through whatever it is we're going through and has come out the other side. Because it, it, it's like, oh, they, and they do know. And they can, they've made it through, maybe I'll make it through too. It brings hope, it brings life, it brings joy. Just that simple phrase, I know. And Jesus is saying here in Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, I know, I know. Whatever it is, whatever thing is on you, he knows it. He has borne it, and he has borne more than it. And he has come through, and he will bring you through. 